So when you came in this morning, you should have gotten a three by five card. Did you guys get one? Okay. Um, those of you joining us online, grab a piece of paper, pen, something to write with, and or you know your phone works good too. Um, a few things I want you to know about what you're getting ready to do. Um, first thing is, um, no one else is going to read this but you. So don't not do this because you don't want people to see it or you don't want people to know, okay? Only person who's going to see this is you. You don't have to share it with someone unless you desire to share it with someone. So on this card, or whatever you're using online with this this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to write down identifiers that go into making up your identity today. So what things, what identifiers can you say, these are the things that go into making up my identity. So my sense of self, my sense of worth. What are those things that go into your identity? Don't put down the things you want. (laughs) Put down the things that do right now, where you are in your life, what things would you say these are identifiers to my identity? So give you a few minutes to do that. Um, Hum the Jeopardy song in your head. Go. Okay, if you're still writing, that's okay. Keep writing as I talk. Um, When you're done, set that aside. Um, Also, while I'm talking, if something else comes to your mind, pick up that paper and write it down. We'll come back to it. Um, Because if you're anything like me, when you actually go to do it, you'll forget what you thought before. So write it down when you think about it. We'll come back to those things in just a few minutes. So last week, I talked about the importance of your heart. In Proverbs 4.23, Solomon writes, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So out of your heart flows everything that comes out. Uh, there's, there's an old computing term um, called Geigo. 
garbage in, garbage out. So they use that as like a coding term of if I put trash in my code, then I'm going to get a trashy product, right? So whatever we put in is what's going to come out. Last week I talked briefly about three things I believe that are revealed when the things in our hearts come out. The first thing was our sinfulness, our our fallen and broken nature. The second thing was our heart. Our heart is revealed. And the third thing from coming out of those first two that's revealed to us is our need for a Savior. We need someone to do the thing that we can't do for ourselves. And quite frankly, to do the thing that none of us can do for each other either. So we need a Savior. And last week I left off with this scripture. It probably felt like a weird kind of close to what we were doing. Uh, but I left you with 1 John 3.20. It says, if, your heart, if, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. That should be encouragement to us. Because when we think about the things that have come out of us, and if it's true that our heart flows, everything flows out from what's inside, then if you're like me, there's probably some things that you wish you could like put back, um, but you can't, right? You can't put it, it, it comes out. So, What does that reveal to us? What does that tell us about our heart? But even though our hearts may condemn us because we're sinful, fallen people, God is greater than our hearts. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, it's kind of broken up into two sections where, where Paul is talking to the people of Ephesus. In verse 1, he starts out, he says, But as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. Doomsday, right? Life is bad. It's not getting any better. But one of my favorite words in Scripture is the next word, but. If you have your your Bible or you don't have your Bible, take it, when you go home, find Ephesians 2, verse 4, and underline, circle, highlight, but right there. Because that is the best but you're ever going to see in Scripture. I like to phrase it a little differently. But God. You see, us, our sinful nature, but God, 
has an answer to our sin. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages we might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's a transition that we see. We see verses 1 through 3, and it shows us, it reveals to us our brokenness. It reveals to us that need for a Savior. And verse 4 through 10 reveals to us that good news that God has sent a Savior to do the thing that we couldn't do for ourselves, to, to heal that brokenness. In eternity. Part of our brokenness is what has led to society's view of identity. You see, society, society's view of identity is you are your work and your accomplishments. You are your failures. You are your successes. You are your sexuality. You are whoever and whatever you want. Our identity, right? Everyone else tells us what our identity is, but for some reason, we don't get to be a part of that in society's view. You see, but the reality is a person's identity is in God. And it starts with understanding three things. With understanding who he is. He is the almighty God who was and is and is to come. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the creator of all things he is the sustainer of life. He is our heavenly Father. The second thing is that we have to understand is what he says about himself. He is love. Not that he just loves and has the ability to love. His very nature is love. He is hope. He is life. He is all-gracious. He is all-knowing and all-powerful. He forgives. He understands your pain and your suffering. 
Well, how can God understand our pain and suffering? Well, there's a reason that God sent his one and only son to live as Emmanuel, God with us. This isn't a fairy tale of a far-off God who cannot relate with his creation. He literally became human like one of us so that he could relate personally with us. He knew what it felt like to experience pain and suffering. He knew what it feels like to be tempted. He knew what it felt like to go through struggles in our lives. God gave his son, Jesus, to die for our sins, to pay a price that we couldn't and cannot pay for ourselves. But the third thing that's important for us to understand, for us to understand our identity, is what God says about you. What God says about you. He says that you are loved that you are chosen, that you are forgiven, that you are redeemed, that you're adopted, that you are wanted, that you're wanted. Clear back in here in Ephesians, when I said, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He created us with a purpose. But if we don't understand who he is and what he says about himself, and we can't then understand our true identity. And if we don't know what he says about us, then we can't understand the truest self, our truest worth. So pull out what you wrote down earlier. So what are some potential identifiers? Some potential identity identifiers. Here are some things that I just came up with. It's a long list, so I'm, I'm trying to get as many people as I possibly can. So let's see how well I do. Conservative, liberal, reformed, evangelical, Methodist, um, Christian, atheist, um, gay, straight, heterosexual, homosexual, whichever word you want to use. White, black, Hispanic, Asian, African American, whatever ethnicity you are. Failure. Successful businesswoman or man. High school dropout. College dropout. Stupid. Useless. Lazy. Hard worker. A work in progress. Husband, wife, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, criminal record, drain on society, 
angry, bitter, unlovable, anxious, depressed, athlete, artist, cheerful, chipper morning person. What identifiers do we put in our life? You see, we are not gay or straight Christians. So many things in this last series that we did about people to be loved that I came across that people identified themselves as gay Christians. Why? Why does that have to be an identifier for a person? I don't go around saying I'm a straight Christian because my sexuality doesn't matter all that much to my identity. See, we're we're not a conservative Christian or, or a liberal Christian. If we're a follower of Christ... That is your identity. You see, but the reality is many of us probably in this room are watching online didn't put Christian or follower of Christ as our number one thought that came to our mind. Some of you maybe did. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Maybe you had other thoughts that came. But is Christian even on there? Do we even think about being a Christian as something that should be reflected in our identity? When I was younger and in high school and in growing up even before high school, Christian would have not been one of the thoughts that came to my mind. I grew up in church. I went to church every Sunday, and I grew up Catholic, so anytime the doors were open, I was there. But Christian wouldn't have been one of those things that I would have said was my identity. My identity was how good I was in sports. That was what I wanted my identity to be. I've talked to you in previous times that... My identity became known as the bad sport, the angry, hot-tempered kid. Because that's what came out. People didn't see a follower of Christ. They didn't see a work in progress. They saw what came out. You see, first and foremost, you are a child of the one true God. You're a child of the one true God. You were made in the image of God. But not only were you created by God, for God, you were created with a divine purpose. God knew in advance what he had in store for you. How 
how many of you can look at your life and say, you know what, I feel like I'm fully living into the person God created me to be. How many of us can say that? How many of us can even say that we're pursuing it? That we're trying our best. I'm not saying you've arrived. Paul even says, I have not arrived. But I'm pursuing it. I I seek after it. I seek to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward. He's pursuing it, but he hasn't arrived yet. So I'm not saying we've arrived, but are we pursuing that divine purpose that God has for our life? Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Paul writes again to the people of Ephesus. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, step one, which we'll look at more after Easter, is in putting on the new self is a transformation that takes place with the attitude of our mind. How do you change your identity from being that old self to being who God created us to be, that new self, putting on Christ Jesus? How do we do that? What's that look like? Well, the beginning step is renewing your mind. Paul talks about it in Romans 12, verse 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But step one is not behavior modification. Why do all New Year's resolutions fail? Because we think in our mind that if we change the behavior, then something in our mind and our attitude will be then changed. Well, Jesus knew it about us before we knew it about ourselves in that in order for us to actually change behavior, we first have to change the mind. But we try to do it the opposite way. So 
starting in verse 25 of chapter 4 through the rest of this letter to the people of Ephesus, Paul goes into detail instructing us on what Christian living looks like. I'll hit the highlights for you. It's not on the screen, so I'll hit the highlights. But I encourage you to go back after this, read the rest of Ephesians. So Ephesians 4.25 through the rest of the letter. Verse 25 says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. I want to put a step in front of this. I want to put a a little extra in there. I'm not adding to God's word because I believe fully that you find this in Scripture. I think it should be a little more of, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to yourself. You see, we're really good at speaking truthfully to our neighbor. to our friends, to the people around us, but we're not good at speaking truthfully to ourselves. We're not good at looking in the mirror and speaking truthfully to ourselves and telling ourselves what we really see in our life. How many of you wrote down things on that card that you didn't want to write down, that were hard for you to write down? the first question I want to ask you is, who told you that defined you? Who told you in your life that failure, that drain on society, that stupid was your identity? Who told you those things? Because they lied to you. Because see, our identity is in God, and God does not say those things about you. He says that he created you with a purpose. That you have value. Whenever I think about the cross, I I, I did a, a series, a message a long time ago on an Easter Sunday. And the thought came to my mind, literally in the middle of the message, as I'm talking about the cross on which Christ died, and above it in my mind, I picture the words as I'm actually talking about the the inscription above the cross that Pontius Pilate had inscribed above the King of the Jews. In my mind, I stuttered. Because in my mind, in those moments, I wanted to say the king of the Jews because that's what it said. But in my mind, I saw something else and it said, you are worth it. Think about it. When he died on the cross, when he gave his life, when he was tortured, the whole time he did it with a purpose. Because your life has value. That nobody else has paid that price for you. Nobody else gets to define your identity but God. And he says, you're worth it. That you're worth it. 
And out of that should be a compulsion within our hearts that says, I want to know that God more. I want to know that Savior more. I want to be better. I don't want to be what people say that I am. I want to be better because of the value he says that I have. Even when I don't feel valued, when I don't feel like I'm worth it, I want to do better. I want to grow in my faith. I want to grow in my relationship. What's that look like? Right off the bat, he smacks me in the face. In verse 26, he says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. How do we grow? We begin to process why we're so angry. We begin to look at what causes that bitterness in our life. He goes on, he says, for those of us who are stealing, don't steal anymore. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. This is going to hurt. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Follow God's example. Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Don't even have a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. Oh, shoot. All those times we've justified when we smash our finger with a hammer and this string of sailor words comes out of our mouth and we're like, oh, it's okay because I smashed my finger. There should be no obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking that comes out of our mouth. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouth. But rather live as children of light, having nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It says in verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, 
making the most of every, uh, listen, listen to this, because this is going to hit right now where we're at in this world. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, I know you guys aren't blind. I know you know what's going on in the world. And I know you cannot watch the news. You can't look through social media without being able to say, there is evil in the world. My question is for us, are we adding to it? Do not get drunk on wine. Always give thanks to God, the Father, for everything. Remember that psalm at the beginning of our worship time together? A sacrifice of joy. A sacrifice of joy. When your identity is in God and you know it, regardless of what happens to you, you can praise God in everything. Because you're willing to give up a little bit of uncomfortableness in the moment to praise God because he says that your life was worth it when he died on the cross. That has more value than the things that we struggle with a life transformed when we realize that our value is defined only by God, that he's the only person that gets to define you. And anybody who does not line up with telling you what they think about you, if it doesn't line up with what God says about you, Two things need to happen. One, you have to be honest with yourself. Is this person pointing out something in my life that I need to work on? Or two, is this person falsely identifying me? But you can't do just one of those. A few weeks ago, when Jennifer wasn't in the room, I told you that she's really good at pointing out all of my challenges, um, or maybe my challenging things to her, right? <laughs> she's really good at calling me out on my stuff. But I have to stop. Because the majority of the time, I get defensive. I don't like it. But when I actually stop and I ask myself, is this really something I'm doing? Because I know she loves me. So I know she's not going to just make up something. She's going to speak truth into my life. I trust her enough to speak truth into my life. 
So therefore, if I know she loves me and I know that she speaks truth into my life, therefore I need to stop and ask myself, is there legitimacy to what she's saying? Well, if all of the prior criteria is true, then yeah, I do. But if some stranger walks up to me and tells me something, well, the first thing I have to realize is, okay, they're a stranger, so are they telling me something false? Are they trying to define me by their standards? Or are they literally seeing something in me that does not reflect Christ? Because that's my purpose, right? If I'm created for God, by God, with a divine purpose, then what comes out of me should reflect Christ. And if I'm not doing my job of reflecting Christ, then I need to seriously listen to the person that's pointing out something that they've seen in me. And it hurts. But if you're compelled by the value that Jesus paid for you and put on your life, then you say, you know what? It hurts, but I'm going to be better on the other side. What is your identity? Stand with me. Jennifer and I and the girls went to Washington, D.C. Day one, we went to Arlington Cemetery. We were about halfway through. Later, I talked to Jennifer, and I told her, I said, I feel sick because of some of the quotes that we saw that reflected the damage that has been done in our country. Because of God's working in my life, I had to stop in that moment. And I asked myself, does that sinful nature of what was stated, does that reflect that person's true identity? I think it doesn't. Because that's not what God said about him. That's not how God felt about him. Even in pain, God says you have value. If you would, just reach out your hands and receive this blessing. Jesus, we thank you for the value that you say that we have. I pray that you will give us the faith to look inside of ourselves and call out the darkness so that we can live in the light that you have created us for. God, I pray that each one of us would grow in the identity that you created us for, 
the identity that you say is ours. And no one else gets to define it. Help us to encourage each other that when we're feeling a little less of ourself, that we can speak life into each other. We thank you, Jesus. And we're compelled because of your love to grow closer in you. Amen.